The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Coach Pete uh, Deruda, who's the president and CEO at Capital Financial Advisory Group based in Apex, North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Coach. Hey, glad to be here. Let's start with a little bit of your background and what you do for your clients these days. Yeah, I've been in the financial industry for 24 years, which is a long time in the financial world. Seen a lot of ups and downs, as you realize, and as you know, as the listeners probably realize, there's been a lot of ups and downs in 24 years. And 11 years ago, I decided to get on the radio just like you, Jordan. Yes. And I've, okay. uh, I've got the nationally syndicated financial safari radio show that comes on weekends, every single weekend. And uh, that's been 10 years in July coming up. So we have 10-year anniversary coming up. What makes the Financial Safari Show different from other financial radio shows? Well, because I'm on it, of course. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's what we try to do is just like you. I mean, we try to go behind the scenes and show people the sausage factory that's the financial world, expose a lot of the fees, risk, and commissions that are made, and try to get people on the right track and get away from all the minutiae out there and get a right plan put together. So tell us a little bit about your own practice uh, what kind of clients do you have? What areas do you specialize in for your clientele? And do you do only people in North Carolina or all over the country? We specialize in North Carolina, but we do have clients throughout the uh, country. And uh, we're a money manager, RIA. We're a uh, fiduciary. We put the client, which means we put the client's needs before ours, which is an overused term and underutilized term out there in the financial world. There's a lot of guys and gals who claim to be fiduciaries, but are still not doing the right thing, in my opinion, for the clients. But I have uh, clients where they, they have as little as 20000 all the way up to $20 million, and I've, I've, because of where I am, right next to all the universities here, the basketball and football teams from UNC and NC State and Duke University, we've got some athletic clients. We're not allowed to divulge who they are in, in that, but we deal with uh, specialty-type situations like that because the athletes have a very small lifespan in their, in their sport, so they have to make a lot of money, or they make a lot of money, but they have to save some of that, so they... You know, the careers are short, so they have to have that money last their lifetime many times. Let's just talk about athletes for a second. Many of them don't put it away. They spend it crazily when they're making a lot of money, and it doesn't show up. What do you do if you have an athlete coming in who's just signed a big contract, made a ton of money, and you can see the path of what's going to happen if, this, if he gets an injury or he's out? How do you deal with a person like that? Well, the very first thing I tell them is they should spend some money. And that goes against everything that people think. But, you know, if, if you have somebody telling you you can't do something over and over again, what are you going to do? You're going to do it. So we tell them to spend a little money, have some fun, but let's take at least half of that money and put it in a place, sort of a time capsule type accounts where they really can't touch until after 50. And, uh, you know, they really uh, they hate me for a while, scream a little bit. But the guys <laughs> who, who follow my advice, you know, when they say, gosh, when they get a little older and they come back in and visit, they say, gosh, I'm glad you told me not to do some of those things because they have the entourages appear, you know, 10 or 20 friends they never knew they had. All of a sudden, are their best friends and want them to spend money in, on them all the time. But if we take some of that money and put it in a place where it's not only they can't touch it, but it's growing for them, they have a whole lot more money in the future and a whole lot less worries, Jordan. 
So what happens to a lot of other athletes who end up losing? I mean, I think Kareem Abdul-Jabbar went bankrupt. I mean, a lot of these big athletes making huge money have ended up really quite poor. What, what bad advice do they get? Well, they don't get the right advice. Maybe they get it from the wrong people. The advice is usually, actually, we've seen people who thought they were following the right path. They had investment advisors and financial planners who put them in bad investments or were managing their checkbook for them, and they were managing the right checks to themselves too many times. So, you know, it, a lot of, we blame the athletes a lot of times for not having money, but a lot of times it's who they, who they elect to surround themselves with professionally. They get them in trouble from the sports agents to sweetheart deals with the CPAs out there. And, and unfortunately, they get the wrong advice and they put way too many of their, their, uh, their dollars they need in the future in the risk basket. And, you know, we're talking about athletes. We need to have some safe money. We need to have some proper life insurance strategies. We need to have long-term care. You know, we talk about investing. It's not just the stock market, Jordan. It's, it's all different aspects. There's 22 different asset classes out there. Be willing to bet most of the listeners aren't familiar with the 15 or so of them. What can people who are not athletes, who don't have a ton of money all at once that they might lose, what can they learn from the experience you've had with athletes? <laughs> you know, the, the uh, Albert Einstein once said that a smart person learns from their mistakes, but a genius, a genius learns from other people's mistakes, so they don't make the mistakes themselves. So what you can learn from the athletes, and number one, you learn is that not many people become athletes and last a long time. You know, we see the Tom Brady's, they're there every single year, so you assume all football players are like that, but... Every year that Tom Brady starts on the Patriots in spring, spring training or whatever the training camp, there's a lot of new faces there because the old faces are gone, either retired or they're injured or gone or some, some other team. So what you need to do is make sure you have a plan for the future. And when you're making money, the objective is to save some of that and, and you pay yourself first. And that's the most important step that is not taught in school. Never taught me in college, and even though I'm in this industry now, no one ever taught me that I should save some money. You know, basically, I balanced my checkbook by going to the bank machine back in the day, <laughs> seeing what my How balance. How that work for you? <laughs> Not too good. And you know, I had three credit cards before I really had a full-time job too. I mean, everyone wants to give you credit and get you in a hole. So, you know, the the most important thing, and I know a lot of people listening probably have some debt. I don't think home debt is that bad. If you have a mortgage, basically get the, uh, get the rate as down as low as you can, and it's a great time to borrow money for a house now because you're basically turning the tables on the bank and locking them into accepting a very small payment for a long time because interest rates are so low. But save some money. Pay the credit cards off. Don't carry these credit cards with 20 or 30% re uh, interest rate because that's equivalent of a 20 or 30% return if you pay them off. And I'm sure you give that kind of advice as well. Absolutely. So one of the big areas you talk about with your clients is retirement income. So this is a time, as you said, very low interest rates, basically zero on CDs, money market funds, treasury bills, uh, savings accounts, things like that. Yep. So if you have somebody who's, who's accumulated some money and doesn't want to risk the principal, what do you tell them as a way of getting income to live off of in retirement? Well, there's some specialized income planning techniques and vehicles out there, and one of the things is they're, they're called annuities, and annuities get a bad rap sometimes. They get a good rap if you get the right one. The problem, the problem is, as there is anything in, in the capitalist society, there's too many products, and the good ones get lost with the bad ones in the big murky water of the financial world. But what I advise is to divide the money you want to save for income, not put it with all, all with one insurance company. Maybe have three or four different insurance companies. And each one has specialized contracts. So you have to get with a planner who understands the contracts in your favor, can highlight the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's no such thing as a perfect financial vehicle out there for anyone. But the secret to making any choice when you buy something is looking at the good, looking at the bad, and making sure you can put up with the bad, and the good outweighs the bad. So, so we look in, at in looking at annuities specifically, yep. 
what are some of the th- attributes you want to look at to have a good annuity? Yeah, well, we want ones with shorter surrender periods. That means when you put your money in, you're not locking it away forever and throwing the key away. It used to be back in the day, you'd get an annuity. Once you gave the money to the insurance company, you could never get the lump sum back out. Well, those have gone the way of the dinosaur because people have got wise to that. There have been other ones that had increasing surrender charges. They were called two-tier annuities. So as the value of your annuity grew, the surrender charge grew too. So you were basically locking yourself in with that company. We haven't seen many of them anymore because people have got smart to that. But what I look for is an annuity contract that has a guaranteed rate of growth for an income in the future. We call it a time capsule type account. So if you put a certain amount of money in today, and let's say 10 or 20 years from now, whatever you're looking at, maybe 30 years from now, you are guaranteed to receive a certain amount per month for the rest of your life. Those are the, the, the basically, those are the magic pill in the financial world for income. If we utilize the right contract, again, you have to be with a very strong insurance company because you don't want your money going away if the insurance company does as well. So these are immediate annuities you're talking about where you have a lump sum to put in to get income right away. How about starting younger and having a deferred annuity as a way of building up money tax deferred? Well, yeah. What I was talking about, though, immediate annuities, you, you basically give the money to the insurance company and they immediately start giving you income. But we have some deferred annuities with income riders that are available out there now. So you put the money away and you, let's say you have a 10-year horizon. Ten years later, you could start taking income, which would be a lot more than, than what it would have been if you had got an immediate annuity today. I don't like immediate annuities today because we're in a low interest rate environment. So you're locking yourself into a payment that is low based on the, the interest rate environment we're in today. So would you rather have the deferred annuity, a variable annuity or an index annuity? What kind would you like if you're going to do a deferred annuity? Yeah, to me, myself, and of course, I'm almost 50, I've never really found a very, there, there are a couple of variable annuities that have come on the market now that are commission-free. They're available to investment advisors. That'd be the only variable annuity I'd recommend because of the risk of principal. To me, if you put money in annuity, that should be your safe money. And if you want to invest in the market, do it through a managed account. Uh, get money managers or even buy mutual funds or ETFs or individual stocks yourself. And how about index annuities? Those are quite popular. Do you like those? Well, I like them and then I hate them at the same time. Again, they're sold too much. And a lot of the guys and gals out there that are just insurance agents selling them don't understand what they're selling. So, you know, it's not you're not in the market, but you're sharing in the gains in the market and you're locking in those gains each year if you're in the right one. And you cannot lose money due to the market. Now, you still can lose money due to surrender fees, taking the money out too early. But I do like the indexed annuities if you understand what you're getting into. And gosh, there's so many pages in some of these contracts, but there are some good ones. But again, you have to be with an advisor who understands all the different products and strategies out there and understands what they're selling. Very confusing for a lot of people. Absolutely. So uh, w- what are some of the companies that you like in the index annuity field that you think offer good good products these days? We look at stronger companies. Allianz is a real good one, been around for a long, long time. German company bet with a, a tremendous amount of money behind them. Uh, there's American Equity, which is just an annuity company only. They're American-owned company. Warren Buffett even invests in some of their stocks. So, you know, we look at strong companies, ones that are going to be here. American General, AIG, even I know they got a bad rap of when, when the market crashed there in 2007, 2008, but that was the, that was the different sector. That was a risk sector, not the insurance sector of American General. So AIG is still a good company, too. The F&G was good, but they've been sold a couple times, so we're kind of skeptical of Fidelity and Guarantee, but they're still a good company. And so when would you say you want to start younger? 
when is a good time to start doing an index annuity? I and mean, what, what age would be appropriate Gosh, to start? You know what? They, they used to be available to people real young. And think about it. If you had 30 years of guaranteed growth for a future income, and they, that was when they were 7 or 8%. So you get 7 or 8% growth for your income account value that would then, in 30 years from now, turn on an income you could never outlive. Those were the days, as uh, Archie Bunker and Edith would say. But nowadays, we've got some that may be a 10-year to 15-year holding period where you put the money in and it has that guaranteed growth. Not quite as high as it used to be. Five or six percent, but still, that's growth for an income. And the way they're sold, though, unfortunately, by some people is people are buying these thinking that they have a lump sum that is growing by five, six, seven percent. This is not a lump sum. This is for an income account value, which they basically look at that total value when you get at the age you want to take income, use their equation, then start giving you a yearly income you can't outlive. And some of them will either uh, one and a half or two times that amount if you go to a nursing home. So they are a good part of a balanced portfolio. And annuities are not the answer, but they are a, a cheat sheet in the answer period there. So it's a good it's a good fix. It's a good fit for a lot of people. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is coach Pete Deruda. He's president and CEO at Capital Financial Advisory Group based in Apex, North Carolina. He's also the host of a show called the Financial Safari Radio Show. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Coach Pete Deruda. He's the president and CEO at Capital Financial Advisory Group based in Apex, North Carolina. There's a website you can find out more about Coach. Uh, which is say no to risk.com. Welcome back to the show, Pete. Hey, good to be back. 
Tell people what they can find out at that website, say no to risk.com. Yeah, it's say no to risk.com. So two is to. And uh, you get videos, you got audios, got a lot of uh, the articles that I've uh, been quoted in and, and written in the past and Forbes and Business Week and Wall Street Journal, that kind of thing. But it's basically, I think, uh, Jordan, people need to get educated in the financial world, but they don't need to get overeducated to the point where they procrastinate or lock up and don't do anything. And you, I'm sure you see that a lot in your profession. Yeah, well, I mean, it's a time when you, if you take no risk, you're going to get no return, basically. So, uh, what what is an appropriate level of risk? I mean, you, you say that you're risk averse, you know, and then you're sitting there earning nothing. You say, yep. oh, I can take risk, and the stock market falls, and you freak out. How do you get the appropriate level of risk for uh, where person people are at psych- psychologically? Yeah, I've talked to some folks, and they say, I can't take any risk. I've got all my money in the bank account now because I feel better. And I say, well, you know what you're doing? If you have your money in the bank account or CDs or whatever, the interest rates are so low, you are, you are losing money safely. Losing money safely. Your money's safe, but you're losing your money. You're losing your buying power because we have inflation rates of 3 4 5%. And if you're only getting one or two at the bank, you are going behind every single year. So it's fun to watch your account value in the bank just sit there and not go down, but it's not going up. And it's sure not going up to combat the inflation environment, the cost of living. So that's, that's scary. Do you think that's going to change? Do you think we'll have interest rates go up uh, in the future, or is it going to stay low for a long time? Well, in the future, maybe, but we're talking about future. That could be 20 years down the road. I mean, I, I remember growing up, and my parents got a house, and they were paying 8 to 12% interest or even more than that. You know, And my first house was 8% interest, and now my, my house is 299 so think about that. We, it's, it's, if, you, if you're borrowing money, it's a great time to borrow the right way. Of course, credit cards are not the right way because they still get you on them. But if you're borrowing money for a house, you see a lot of people playing the real estate game now, being uh, property managers, getting three or four houses because the interest rates are so low. Now, that's worrisome too, Jordan. If you're, put, you're talking about retirement income and you think you're going to get your income from a real estate portfolio, that's all good until the market goes the other way and maybe people aren't renting anymore or people can't afford to rent or people can't afford to buy. So be very careful. It's all about diversification, but we do see real estate as one of the places that people use for retirement income. Speaking of diversification, you talk about bucketing strategies. What are some of the buckets and how do you allocate your money appropriately between the different buckets? Now, the bucketing strategy was invented years ago by uh, Ray Lucia, and uh, he had a radio show and everything, so give him credit for, the, for, for that, I guess, promoting the bucketing strategy. It's probably been around a lot longer than just Ray, but the bucketing strategy is you take whatever you have put aside for retirement, and you divide it into four or five different piles, and then you put them in buckets, basically. And so some of those piles can, can continue to grow as you're living off some of the other piles. So the bucketing strategy basically says you take different risk for different times of your life. And if you have a 10-year horizon or longer, the theory goes that you can take that money and put more risk attached to it because you have 10 years or longer. Jordan, a long time ago, I was told that a long-term hold was 10 years or longer. But nowadays, in this internet, internet generation we're in, with the investment, the 24-7 investment channels out there, a long-term hold for many people is 10 minutes. And that's yeah. not a good place. It's not a good recipe because markets go in cycles. And a good cycle can take 10 years to come back. So if you're putting money in a place and you're watching it, hoping it goes up in value, it's sort of like trying to watch that, that, that pot of water that isn't boiling. The more you watch it, the less it's going to boil, it seems like, all the time. So you know, if you need the money real quick, it's not a time to put it into market risk. And it's sure not a, a place to put it in when you lock the money away where you can't touch it either. How do you rebalance your buckets? Do at the end of the year take some gains uh, from the things that have done well and put into the things that have not done well. That's what people typically would uh, recommend. 
Yes, and especially if you're, you know, when you're looking at the, uh, the the marketing, you can take that bucket for the market and divide it in different buckets, different little sub buckets. But the dogs at a Dow strategy comes to mind. You know, at the end of the year, you rebalance. So if you had stocks doing real well, you take some of the money out of the real well ones and put it into the stocks that did not do as well. As long as you still believe in those stocks, and in theory, you'll come out better in that. The dogs at a Dow strategy has been around for years and years. Uh, so okay, now as far as doing the different buckets. Are you saying normally individual stocks or ETFs or mutual funds or managed accounts? What is the best way to be represented in each of the buckets? You know, every now and then there's somebody who, who wants to do it themselves. And what I let them do there is we, we, we set up some managed accounts. where We have professional money managers who, who manage millions and millions of dollars and, and have a lot more experience in not letting emotions take control. But if somebody still wants to manage their own money, we'll take a little bit. We'll peel maybe 5 or 10% of their, their risk assets off the top. And give it to them to open up their own individual brokerage account and see how they can do. But keep in mind, the average investor usually gets their clock clean compared to the professional money managers. And what is it that the individual is doing wrong that the professional is doing right? They've got emotions take control and, and the professionals there are, you know, they, mutual funds have, have managers. And the managers basically, they go to all the corporate events. They talk to the CEOs. They talk to them on, a, they play golf with them on a, on a monthly basis sometimes. So, even though they say they don't share some things, you know, every now and then maybe they'll still advise a mutual fund manager. Maybe they should uh, lighten their load or maybe they should increase their load based on what's going to happen next quarter. Because, you know, you and I both know when you watch the, the market the day before the jobs numbers come out, you see some, uh, some activity there that's not usually there, don't you? Right. <laughs> so don't – and every day like before earnings come out with a company. So don't be fooled to think that everyone's honest and don't be fooled to think that everyone has the same information. So as an average individual investor here in North Carolina, I don't stand a chance against a money manager in New York City. So how about uh, indexing, uh, passive investing as opposed to active investing? Yep. A lot of people are putting money into index funds these days. Does that make sense? Well, Jack Bogle said a long time ago, invest in the indexes, right? I mean, you know, the, when you look at the uh, Dalbar studies, the indexes usually beat the money managers, <laughs> which is pretty funny. You pay a money manager 2% 2 or more to manage your money, and 75% of them underperform the S&P. How does that make sense? So is that going to continue? Or, I mean, this has been true lately. Well, but, I haven't uh, checked my crystal ball lately, but I mean, yeah, but you never know. Here, I mean, you know, a lot of people just get influenced by the fancy brochures and the uh, the song and dance of how some professional money manager is going to kill the indexes. But when you look at the indexes, there's nothing wrong with getting you know some of your money in an index mutual fund or ETF that's tied to the S and P 500. So, how would you choose an allocation between index passive investments and active money management? I think a good combination, you know, the, I'm not an all or nothing kind of guy. And there are some managers out there, some, some investment advisors who are, who are basically beholden to one or two of the, one of the strategies. They don't like both of them. I like a combination. When I get a pizza, I don't like pepperoni all the time. I like sausage and pepperoni. So let's, let's mix them together. As we get older, I think it's better to be more passive than, than somebody who's younger. If you're younger, you can afford to pay the tactical managers to get in and out and hopefully beat the market. But keep in mind, with the market swinging like it has lately, you may get out just the time it's turned around and going up, and then you chase it up. So you're losing money that you could have had if you would have, you would have left your money alone. We had that flash crash a couple of years ago, and people got their clocks clean because they had stop losses in there. They left to, to, to go to work that morning, and everything was fine. They come back. The stock's higher than it was when they left, but they find out they got out of that stock 10 points below. Yeah, indeed. Okay, very good. Um, another area I'd like to talk about is long-term care. So a lot of people living longer – uh, they think somehow Medicare or Medicaid is going to take care of them if they need either home health care aids or assisted living or even nursing homes. 
That's typically not the case. What is the case to be made for long-term care insurance, and when should people typically buy it? Yeah, this is the saddest situation now. We, we're living longer, but we don't have the money to live how we want, and we sure don't have the money put aside to pay for all the medical expenses because medical expenses are growing at a rate even higher than college education. And I'm not a big believer, you know, I'm going to say this because I want you to hear it, I'm not a big believer in standalone long-term care policies. And I've been licensed to offer long-term care for about 20 years now. I still have not offered one standalone long-term care policy. You know why? Why? Because they were uh, because number one, I read the contracts, <laughs> and they're no fun. Hey, have you ever looked at the back of a hot dog row? You, the, the, the things the hot dogs come in and, and try to read the ingredients. Uh-huh. <laughs> Some same, make you same idea. anymore. So if I can't pronounce it, I'm sure not going to put it in my mouth. Now, one of the things that that uh, that really has worried me about long-term care was to use it or lose it. But that wasn't the bad part. The bad part was they could never guarantee they would not raise the rates, and we've seen some tremendously huge rate increases by some of the biggest long-term care companies. We're talking about 40, 50, or 60% a year they raise the rates. And the reason why, number one, is they can't afford to offer what they, were, what they sold you. And number two, they want you to leave on your own. They can't kick you out, but they can get you to leave. And so if we had a long-term care policy that guaranteed no rate increases, guaranteed the benefits, and guaranteed that when you passed away, whatever you put in would go to a beneficiary, that'd be great. But Jordan, the life insurance industry has gotten smarter and about three years ago, some of the major companies now introduced a way to get a life insurance policy like we all need and be able to, while you're living, take out some of that death benefit and use that to pay for long-term care. It's called Living Benefits Riders. And if you have a life insurance contract and you don't have that on there, you're cheating yourself out of, of the potential of never needing a long-term care policy because the life insurance policy could do that for you. And you'll never have a rate increase with a, with a life insurance policy either. So that makes a lot of sense. You need a bigger death benefit, obviously, 500000 to a million, but think, think about that. And then you go to a long-term care facility, and you take money out of your life insurance policy. You get to use your life insurance policy. Now, keep in mind, if you use it while you're here, and your beneficiaries are depending on that when you're gone, they're gonna be, there's going to be less money for them because you're using it now. But that's a great aspect of life insurance most people don't know about. So you're taking out of your death benefit, not your cash value when you do right. a long-term. That's right. Because of that, it comes out tax-free. So, uh, and this is also true with annuities as well. You can do long-term care, living benefits with annuities as well, correct? Yeah, but they're not quite as powerful because life insurance, you know, is basically you get penny, you get dollars for pennies when you buy a life insurance policy. You know, the younger you are, the healthier you are, the better benefit you get. But we've seen a lot of folks take their old policies and, and roll them into a new life insurance policy, get a lot more benefits and a lot more bang for their buck, and they have guaranteed coverage to 120. So, uh, so. Uh, uh, you could potentially take a lot of money out of a life insurance policy. Uh, are there any limits on how much you can take out in long-term care and living benefits? Each insurance company has their own rules, but it's usually 10% of the death benefit or so, depending on what you have in there. So, you know, that's why you want a bigger uh, policy, because you can take out, like, if you have a million-dollar policy, well, 10% is $100,000. That's a pretty good long-term care benefit. For, for your lifetime, not 10,000, 10% of years, total of 10%. 10% a year. So, you, yeah, one year you need it, uh, you, so you take 100000 out. The next year you need it again. You take eighty or ninety or 100000 out again. Yeah, it's, it's until uh, so you run you out of take out the death benefit. 100000 for 10 years then. Yeah, and then the policy would uh, go, go away because you've taken all the death benefit out. But you've had a, a use of it, and now your, your, your family wasn't paying out of their pocket for your care. So even if you pass away without a death benefit, they have benefited while you're here because they didn't have to dig into their pockets. The Makes insurance sense. company must not be very happy about that, though, if that were to happen. 
Well, insurance companies make money. They make money on both sides. They make money when people live. They make, make money when people die. So they balance out. You want a good, powerful insurance company that offers life insurance and annuity because the annuity, they, uh, they, uh, they give payments when you're living and, the, and a life insurance company, they basically pay when you die. So they get that balance in there and that's where the strong companies come into play. And so what would be some of the companies... Are they the same ones you had before as far as offering a good living benefit uh, for, yeah. with an annuity? We've got like AIG, big companies like that. I mean, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple. Equitable is a good company. There's, there's a lot of companies that are doing that out there, but they're not all the same. And you really need to get with a planner who understands that and then let them shop the market for you and show you the different benefits. Very good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Coach Peach Pete Deruda. He's president and CEO of Capital Financial Advisory Group, based in Apex, North Carolina. You can find out more about him at his website, saynotorisk.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Coach Pete Deruda. He's president and CEO at Capital Financial Advisory Group based in Apex, North Carolina. Uh, he has a radio show called the Financial Safari Radio Show, and he has a website, saynotorisk.com. Welcome back to the show, Coach. Hey, good to be back again. So we want to talk about uh, financial advisors. Now, you are a financial advisor, and you are the paragon of virtue, but everybody else out there is not. So what are some unscrupulous things that you've seen advisors do, and how can people make sure that they don't get involved with those kind of people. Gosh, there's so much misrepresentation out there, Jordan. It's crazy sometimes. I mean, you know, being on this side of the of the microphone and this side of the uh, the, the financial world, when I hear some of the commercials or see some of the stuff I see in print, I'm amazed they get away with it, some of these guys and gals. So it's, I mean, people lying about returns, telling you a, uh, 
a return is not is guaranteed when it's not. That that's a worrisome thing. Like a real estate investment trust, I've seen a lot of people fall victim to non-traded REITs where they think that they're going to have a guaranteed return, but that's only based on the factor that real estate appreciates in value and then becomes public. Until then, your money's locked away, and there's no guarantee that that money will ever come out. There's no guarantee that real estate will ever grow in value. Now, I'm sure you see some of that too, don't you? Sure. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, and, and I mean, supposedly all these things are being regulated by the SEC and their compliance departments and due diligence and all kinds of lawyers hanging around all these things. So how can anybody get hurt with all that compliance and legal stuff going on? Yes. Well, sometimes, especially when we see it, like people pushing precious metals like gold and silver, many times the, the line is, is basically blurry as far as which regulatory agency is supposed to step up. So none of them do. And my wife works for the state attorney general's office here in, in North Carolina. In the past, I've had her ask me questions from the financial division wanting to know what an annuity is. So that's kind of d- disturbing and, and makes me a- ask little questions. If you have the regulators not understanding all the, the annuities, how does the general public understand that? So let's talk about fees for a minute. What fees are appropriate and what fees are not appropriate for people to pay to get good financial advice? I was talking about this at lunch today with one of my junior advisors. I said, you know, there's nothing wrong. You should be proud to say we have like a a 1% management fee because, you know, in our opinion, uh, would you rather pay 1% fee and get somebody who maybe gets you a 3% or more return than than, than somebody else that charges no fee? So fees are not the evil. The evil is paying for something when you get nothing in return. And unfortunately, there's a lot of guys and gals out there on the money management side they go around to different conventions and, and their peer groups and brag about how many millions or hundreds of millions they have under management. Well, to me, the more money you get under management, the more attention you need to be paying to each one of these, those people with the money. So when you get a huge amount of money under management, are you really doing the best thing for your clients? I don't know. I mean, that's, that's a question, I guess, if you have enough staff. But if, if the, the customer or client hired you for you and now you've pawned them off to a junior advisor, are they getting what they're paying for? So how about hedge funds, which probably charge the biggest fees of all, two uh, percent plus twenty percent of the profits? Uh, are, are, do you ever use hedge funds? Do you think that makes sense for people to invest with? Well, some people, you know, with with a lot of money to and money they can afford to lose, and they're real accredited investors. I guess if you have ten million or more, then a hedge fund may make sense. But again, you're 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 on the fast track there. You can make a lot of money, but we've seen the hedge funds take a take a bath in the past too, haven't we? Absolutely. Yeah, most of them have not. And yeah. they, they get these nice fees, but it doesn't work out too well for the client. Well, in many cases. Know, I should have formed a hedge fund years ago. I could have made a fortune. And yeah, the 20% <laughs> of the, the profit is amazing to get away with that. But, uh, you know, it's a, it's whatever. If people are willing to pay it, then you can have one. But uh, eventually people get smart, and that's what happens with a lot of hedge funds. People get out. So you're saying assets under management is the best way to go. How about commissions or back-end fees or surrender charges? Should you always avoid those kind of things? No, I really think that, you know, it's a combination. I mean, if you're willing to pay a fee, and it's, it's usually quarterly, you know, to, to have, a, have somebody manage your money, that's fine. But if, as long as we understand the three different ways that advisors are paid, one is fee only. That means that you charge a planning fee, and then they don't make any commissions or fees or kickbacks from recommending you go get your plan fill, fulfilled from somebody else. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, there's a lot of people that claim they're fee only, but then they're making kickbacks after they tell you to, to buy certain products. So be very careful of that. Then the, uh, the, the fee base is when you make a management fee. We talked about that if you put money under management. The third way is commission-based. Now, the commission can either come out of your pocket as the client or it can come out of the company's pocket 
whoever product you buy. So to me, as long as we understand the products, there are some good fixed annuities, fixed index annuities out there that pay a commission to the advisor. It's a one-time commission to, to get the, the client in there, but the money doesn't come out of the client's pocket. And therefore, I think that makes sense when we balance it with managed money because you can have some safe money with the annuities and you can have your risk money with managed platforms. I mean, it comes out of the client's pocket eventually anyway. I mean, I see annuities offering a big first-year bonus, something like that, 6%, 7%, whatever it may be. But ultimately, doesn't that money have to come out of the returns of the client in some way? Well, yeah, but if, but it was, if they, if they, especially if they have the income riders included in there that have a promised 6% growth for income, it doesn't really matter what the company's making if they've promised you 6%, does it? You know, it's like when you look at it, as long as you understand, you're not going to get rich. And that's unfortunately, that's how some of these indexed annuities are sold, where the advisor says you can get up to 30% a year if, you, if everything goes right. Jordan, everything's not going to go right. <laughs> you're right. not going to get 30% a year in annuity. But if you're happy getting 4 to 6% and not having your money at risk, is it worth having somebody make commissions even, as long as you know it's not coming out of your money directly because you know exactly what you're going to get, that range, 4 to 6%? To me, I'd say yes. I bought a couple of annuities myself and because I know that I'm comfortable with that money not growing like crazy, but I don't want to see that money shrink at all. So how can one find a scrupulous financial advisor like you <laughs> as opposed to all these unscrupulous ones you've been talking about? You know, you have to, and there's all sorts of rating agencies and there's all sorts of places like ethics.net. You can go and research your advisor, but you really have to trust your instincts. I mean, because some of the best advisors have just gone off the track. You know, they could be, you could have a perfect record one day and the next, next day it could be littered with bad things. Like you've seen this, all, I mean, in the money world, the guys are perfect and then they're not. Bernie Madoff, clean record. And then he didn't have one. Right. <laughs> so you have to be trust your instincts. A lot of people that I talk to, I, I actually have interviewed the lady who wrote a book on him, and and when he was in Butner Prison, she visited him in prison, uh, and she basically said he's the most trustable guy at first. But then she started getting an uneasy feeling when she started talking to him. So you know that feeling you get a lot of times. You have to trust yourself. Don't put all your money in one place, and don't ever write a check to the advisor unless it's for a planning fee. Like don't write a three hundred thousand dollars for the advisor in his or her name and, and think that's going to go uh, manage or they're going to manage that for you. Because a lot of times, if you write it to the advisor, temptation takes over and they cash it and spend it on themselves. So you have to use your gut instinct to some extent. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've done a book, an ebook called Seven Financial Baby Steps. And there's a website related to that, sevenfinancialbabysteps.com. What are some of the steps that you talk about in that book? Yeah, what I did here is I, I, sh I showed people, based on what happened in my childhood, just ways to approach the money world in the simplistic way, but also get advanced kind of training in the simplistic way. I think a lot of people are afraid of the financial world because it seems so complex. So I broke down the financial planning process into seven very easy steps, combined it with some childhood stories like collecting tadpoles <laughs> in a little bucket. My brothers and I used to go down to, well, we'll call it a creek in the book, but it was a swamp. Jordan, we used to quag up a creek back in the day. All the neighborhood guys would get together. We'd go down to the swamp. We'd, qu we'd quag the creek up until it turned into a nice pond, and we'd swim in it. This was before we realized it was probably, this was in North Carolina, by the way, but there was probably water moccasins, copperheads, you name it, probably poisonous. We were swimming around in that muddy water. But <laughs> every now and then, we'd collect a tadpole or two, and we'd bring them home in the bucket, and we'd watch them turn into frogs. But... You know, during the summer back in the day, it was three months of vacation, which was boring back then. I remember at 10 years old telling my grandpa, this summer never, will never end. He said, enjoy it while you can because time starts to fly. And Jordan, as you get older, grandpa looks pretty smart now, doesn't he? <laughs> so, so what do you learn from the tadpoles turning into frogs? Well, as what it relates to your financial life. 
Yeah, well, we went on vacation one time. Our brothers and I, you know, dad would just come home and say, we're going on vacation. We didn't even know it. So for three weeks, we'd load up the station wagon and go out to the national parks all out west. So we neglected to assign anybody to keep putting new water into the tadpole dish in the backyard. So when we came back three, three weeks later, there was a bunch of uh, little streaks in that container. It was all dry. Basically, the tadpoles, were, they, the water evaporated, the tadpoles died. So we talk about financial evaporation and fees, commissions, expenses. Having your money in the wrong place can evaporate your money, just like the tadpole container got evaporated from water. And as it killed the tadpoles, it could kill your chances of a good retirement if you don't have your money in the right place. Your final chapter in that book is called Teaching the Next Generation. Yep. What can, people often but don't feel comfortable speaking about financial issues because they don't have any background in it themselves. How can people teach the next generation if they don't feel comfortable about it themselves? Well, just sitting down with your children or grandchildren and, and showing them some of your stock accounts or showing them some balances and showing them what happens in the money world, going over uh, the rule of 72 with them, which is a simple rule where you take whatever interest rate you're being offered, divide it into the number 72, and the number you get is the number of years it'll take for your money to double based on that interest rate. Real easy one. Or the rule of 100, which basically says you take your age, subtract from 100, and the number you get is the maximum amount percentage-wise you should keep at risk. So if you're 65... 100 minus 65 is 35. So 35%, I guess you're still comfortable taking some risk because you know if you lose that 35%, you still have 65% to, to live on. So, I, But again, as, as, if we're talking about a 65-year-old, get very skeptical if we take some risks that we don't understand when we're 65 because we need that money all the way to and through retirement. And retirement is 30, 40, 50 years of unemployment, otherwise known as retirement these days. But it's hard for those people if they've got some capital uh, to take even 35% risk. Absolutely. If, uh, you know, they don't feel they can recover. They, they remember 2008, yep. and it took them a while to recover from something like that. So s- say we go into another downturn here, and people have got some capital accumulated. Again, they're earning nothing. They don't want to be tied up in annuities. What would you recommend for them to have income in today's environment that would be relatively safe? Yeah, well, it, you know, when you look at tying it up in annuities, if they want income right away, you can get an immediate annuity because that gives income. You know, a five-year immediate annuity can get you five years down the road while you're un- giving your other money a chance to grow. Uh, laddering some CTs used to make sense, but nowadays, again, that's that's almost criminal to put money at the bank because the bank's turning right around and loaning that money out by, for a lot more interest rates than, than they're giving you. So you have to be very careful. Get a good plan together. I would say dividend stocks make sense. You keep in mind that if you put money in a dividend stock, the stock could go down in value. The company could also reduce the dividend. So there's nothing guaranteed there. But there are some decent dividend stocks still available. Disney's the one that comes to mind. If you ever been to Disney Park, they're printing money down there. Pays a dividend. appreciates in value sometimes. But again, if you have a long-term horizon, companies like Disney are good investments, I think. Or Frito-Lay, Wrigley's, Clorox, you know, even beer companies. When the economy goes down, beer companies still do well. And are there some mutual funds uh, that are kind of dividend-oriented that you would like as a way of getting income and some potential growth? Yeah, that's. I, mean, I would look at if I was going to do mutual fund, I'd maybe do the S and P, get a index fund. You know, invest in the indexes because the indexes are over time are, are going to perform a lot better. They're not going to have the ups and downs or wild swings as like individual stock-based mutual funds based on one one or two sectors would be. But I mean, so the index funds is one way to go. But there are funds that are like. Dividend some, increasing and, funds. The kind of yeah, thing. there are some. And those are good ones to get in. I mean, it's, it's just about you've got to understand that you're, there's no guarantee in that and they can go down in value. But if you're looking for dividends, uh, I, I doubt all the companies would reduce dividends. A lot of the mutual fund companies look for only investing companies that have a record of increasing dividends, which is very important. Uh, you know, the, again, past performance never, never guarantees anything in the future, but it's a good track record to, to base that on if you're trying to get dividends. 
Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My uh, guest this hour is Coach Pete Deruda. He's president and CEO of Capital Financial Advisory Group based in Apex, North Carolina. Uh, you can look at his website, which is saynotorisk.com. And his book we discussed is called sevenfinancialbabysteps.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Coach Pete Deruda. He's president and CEO of Capital Financial Advisory Group based in Apex, North Carolina, a website for him is saynotorisk.com. Welcome back to the show, Pete. Hey, uh, last segment, huh? <laughs> yes, it is. So let's talk about the economy a little bit. Some people think it's doing better. Some people think it's doing worse. What is your outlook on the economy right now? Well, you know, gosh, it's a, I'm amazed at how the market has recovered from, from the last little mini crash we had. How about you? Well, yeah. I mean, it, it came back. Uh, but I have the underlying fundamentals getting better or worse. I mean, the United States seems to be around the world in better shape than a lot of other places, but are we being dragged down by what's happening around the world? Well, you know, it's funny. Yeah, every now and then the global economy will flare up and, and rear its ugly head, and, and that's the reason it's pointed to for the market going down. But there are a lot of overpriced stocks out there, but, you know, they continue to go up. So people just throw their arms in the air and invest with everybody else, you know, the old mob mentality. One of the amazing ones is Amazon.com. You know, I use it all the time, but I mean, it's just crazy how that's gone. It went up $100 a share earlier this year, or last year, I guess the end of last year. Yeah. That's crazy money, Jordan. It's crazy well, money. Well, it's because we have free money from the Federal Reserve, basically. So do you <laughs> yep. think the Federal Reserve is going to start raising interest rates more? I mean, it raised it once a quarter, but they'd clearly like it to be higher. Do you think the Fed's going to be on a campaign to raise rates over the rest of this year? 
Well, I picture the Federal Reserve's like the, the old Western movies you you'd watch with the uh, cowboys with the cowboy hats, you know, rounding the cattle into a little corral, right? And so with, with the Federal Reserve lowers interest rates, people who want to have income and want to have money growing and need it to grow for their retirement, but don't really want to take risk, they have to take risk because there's no other choice. So they take the money out of the CDs and throw it in the stock market, and they hope and they pray everything's going to go fine. That's a horrible recipe for future disaster, in my opinion. What are the dislocations and distortions that have happened in both the domestic and global economy because we've had low interest rates, in fact, negative interest rates for such a long time? Yeah, well, we look at that, but then what's what's forgotten again, and, and it shouldn't be forgotten, is our is our unfunded liabilities for our federal debt. We're about at least $100 trillion now when you factor in Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, all the different things that we have, all the government programs. Social Security is, is very worrisome to, to a lot of folks out there because – you know, there's no guarantee that that money's going to be there when you need it the most. And that's what that was put in for. It was put in to be a, a safety net for retirement. And instead, the, you know, our wonderful Congress got together and, and basically robbed the Social Security accounts. There's nothing in there right now. So for people, should they not be counting on Social Security or count on it less? If that's true, what, what is the long-term viability of Social Security and what should people plan on? Yeah, I would say that people in their 60s could probably be comfortable knowing that that Social Security will be there, but we may see some means testing in the future. And people hear these terms, they don't know what this means. Mean testing is when the government says, well, you make enough money in your retirement accounts, we're not going to let you have any Social Security. So who gives the government the right to decide how much is enough? That's what gets a lot of people that are capitalists like me really angry because the government has no business telling you how much you can save and how much you can spend. They need to leave us alone, basically, or we turn into the Soviet Union. Well, that would really change the policy of Social Security from an insurance program into a welfare program, basically, which is changing the nature of it if they did means testing. Well, when you talk about welfare, I mean, when you, when you look at all the different, uh, I mean, and, and no one really knows when we say how many people are here in the country illegally, there's numbers that are thrown around in the millions, like 10 or 11 million. What if there's 50 million? I mean, who really knows? If they're here illegally, how do you really know who's here? Yes. And that's so what's the on the government, right? So the more money we're having to spend on people that shouldn't be here, that really aren't contributing to the society, the less money we have for people that are hardworking and have worked all their lives and really want that Social Security for themselves. So sp- speaking of which, so let's, let's move to the political realm here because immigration is obviously a big issue these days. Yep. Uh, let's for the moment, it may not happen, but just for the moment, say we get a, a Donald Trump on the Republican side a Hillary Clinton on the Democratic side. Uh, how do you think that might turn out, and what would be the difference in the economy and the markets if one or the other were to win? You know, you look at the the candidates there, and and it really comes down to they're all basically the same, aren't they? I mean, when you know, when you look at it, when you look at what they do when they get to Washington, it's it's about the same thing that somebody else would have done. So what you hope is that they surround themselves with very intelligent people in the cabinet positions because that's where the brains are and that's where the decisions are made. Many times, the president is just made a figurehead signing things away. Congress is important, too. I mean, so you need checks and balances. Lately, we, it seems like we've had less checks and balances and, and more, more executive orders. And that's not something that, that's something that happens in, in the old days of the medieval days when you had a king and a court. Yes. I think we really need to get down to no more of these fast-track bills going by when they're signing 3,000-page bills overnight where they, don't, they haven't even read it. Remember Nancy Pelosi? We need to pass it to see what's in it. I mean, that, I almost hit the roof when I heard her say that. That was about the Obamacare <laughs> stuff. And now that's we're right. seeing, we're seeing really how bad Obamacare is. I mean, you've got companies that are going out of business. We've got, we got rates going up to the, through the roof. And now people are saying it's time to go to a single-payer system. And that's what the goal was all along. So if the Republicans got in, do you think they could, as they call it, repeal and replace Obamacare? What would they replace it with? 
Well, that was why it was important to get it through real fast because it's hard to take away free stuff after you give it to somebody, isn't it? For sure. <laughs> so, uh, I don't think we'll ever see it go away. I do think we need more freedom of choice. We need to get rid of the interstate borders. Like a lot of times there'll be an insurance policy that's really good offered in North Carolina, but not in South Carolina. It needs to be federally covered. So like if you can get it in North Carolina, you should be able to get it in North Dakota, that kind of thing. Uh, if we could get rid of that. And, of course, underwriting, is it makes sense. I mean, to say everyone can get a policy is crazy because that means you're, you're rewarding somebody for, in, in many cases, I know that people are, you know, that's just what's happened. They were born that way. But a lot of people are self-induced, like they're way overweight because they eat too much. Maybe their liver's in bad shape because they drink too much. Why should they be able to get coverage just like you if you've watched everything you've eaten and, you, and you've made, made sure to moderate, you know, drink moderately? How are you penalized for their mistakes in the past? So, again, this is... It's crazy right now what's happening. It's going to put a really hurt. It's really hurting already the health insurance companies that basically they bowed down before this bill and they endorsed it. And they and basically with open arms somehow, they were told something probably that isn't true. And now they're paying the consequences. Blue Cross can't even handle what's going on. Their computer system broke down. They've come out with new billing systems now. I've got double billed over and over again now because of my Blue Cross. So that's, they don't know what they're doing there. They didn't realize how bad it was going to be. You think health insurance premiums are going to rise more from where we are already, even though they've risen? Mine has doubled in the last three years where they would only go up $10 a year back in the day. So, yes, I think they'll continue to go up until, I mean, when you, gosh, people are paying more for their health insurance than their house these days. It's got to stop yeah. somewhere, Jordan, even healthy people, which is crazy. And the deductibles have skyrocketed, too. So I can see paying more, I guess, if you have a lower deductible or no deductible. But now the deductibles have gone way up. The co-pays are out of sight. And the premiums are, are even fasterly rising than that. I know that's not a word, but we'll just pretend it is. So, so you think that that could be changed legislatively, that if they so-called repealed and replaced Obamacare, that you, wouldn't ha- you would have to get some people who have become insured not to be insured anymore because that's what's driving up the costs? Yeah, and we have new technology coming now where you have designer drugs customized for your own DNA. Peter Diamandis is big on that. He's out, uh, out in L.A. And uh, basically, when you've when you got these, these 3D printers now, you can basically print out your own body parts if you have the right DNA. So I say we're going to have a lot of Moore's Law that says that things double every, every couple of years here. So the technology is going crazy. So I think technology will, will help, but people are still going to have to pay for like adding years to your life, you'll be able to buy years to your life, evidently, as we go in the future. But again, it's all about money. We're a capitalist society. Everyone can't be rich because if everyone's rich, everyone's poor. <laughs> uh, and another topic that's very hot these days on the political trail is trade. Uh, they're against the Trans-Pacific Partnership, for example. What is your view on trade and how that can help or hurt the U.S. economy? I really think that uh, we trade should help us. I mean, we need to put more money. You know, that's where we need to invest our money into more in, into more industry here that can generate revenue worldwide for our economy and bring money in. We spend a lot of times sending money out and bringing in cheap goods. Let's now let's get let's export some of our technology to to countries we we are friends with, not some of the technology that get us in trouble. And I think we'll benefit as a society that way. So you've said a lot of scary things here. You think health premiums are going up? You're worried about Social Security? <laughs> There's a lot of unscrupulous advisors out there. (laughs) It's a scary world. So in in the final minute or so we have left, why don't you kind of wrap all this up? Taking your advice, how can one uh, thrive with this kind of unsafe, volatile environment? Yeah, well, the secret is to get educated. And, and for all your listeners, Jordan, if they go to 7financialbabysteps.com, they can download a workbook series, action guide, as well as a audio series, a seven-part audio, audio series explaining the seven baby steps. This will help for anybody, any age, 
10 to 100, basically, get educated in the financial world. Again, that's 7financialbabysteps.com. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Coach Pete DeRuda. Uh, he's president and CEO of Capital Financial Advisory Group. Uh, in addition to 7financialbabysteps.com, his other website is saynotorisk.com. Thanks so much. You've been a great guest on the Money Answer Show, Coach. Hey, the pleasure has been on this side of the microphone, Jordan. Thanks so much. And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 